Chapter 1. Joseph. Part 8 of The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eleanor Matheson, Orlando, Florida. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Joseph Resists Temptation. Seeing that she could not attain her object by entreaties or tears, Zuleika finally used force when she judged that the favorable chance had come. She did not have long to wait. When the Nile overflowed its banks, and according to the annual custom of the Egyptians, all repaired to the river, men and women, people and princes accompanied by music, Zuleika remained at home under the pretense of being sick. This was her long-looked-for opportunity, she thought. She rose up and ascended to the hall of state, and arrayed herself in princely garments. She placed precious stones upon her head, onyx stones set in silver and gold. She beautified her face and her body with all sorts of things for the purifying of women. She perfumed the hall and the whole house with cassia and frankincense, spread myrrh and aloes all over, and afterward sat herself down at the entrance to the hall, in the vestibule leading to the house, through which Joseph had to pass to his work. And behold, Joseph came from the field, and he was on the point of entering the house to do his master's work, but when he reached the place where Zuleika sat, and saw all she had done, he turned back. His mistress, perceiving it, called out to him, What aileth thee, Joseph? Go to thy work, I will make room for thee, that thou mayest pass by to thy seat. Joseph did as she bade him. He entered the house, took his seat, and set about his master's work as usual. Then Zuleika stood before him suddenly in all her beauty of person and magnificence of raiment, and repeated the desire of her heart. It was the first and last time that Joseph's steadfastness deserted him, but only for an instant. When he was on the point of complying with the wish of his mistress, the image of his mother Rachel appeared before him, and that of his aunt Leah, and the image of his father Jacob. The last addressed him thus, in time to come the names of thy brethren will be graven upon the breastplate of the high priest. Dost thou desire to have thy name appear with theirs, or wilt thou forfeit this honor through sinful conduct? For know, he that keepeth company with harlots wasteth his substance. This vision of the dead, and especially the image of his father, brought Joseph to his senses, and his illicit passion departed from him. Astonished at the swift change in his countenance, Zuleika said, my friend and true love, why art thou so affrighted that thou art near to swooning? I see my father. Where is he? Why, there is none in the house. Thou belongest to a people that is like unto the ass, it perceiveth nothing, but I belong to those who can see things. Joseph fled forth, away from the house of his mistress, the same house in which aforetime wonders had been done for Sarah kept a captive there by Pharaoh. But hardly was he outside, when the sinful passion again overwhelmed him, and he returned to Zuleika's chamber. Then the Lord appeared unto him, holding the Eben Shetiah in his hand, and said to him, If thou touchest her, I will cast away this stone upon which the earth is founded, and the world will fall to ruin. Sobered again, Joseph started to escape from his mistress, but Zuleika caught him by his garment, and she said, as the king liveth, if thou wilt not fulfill my wish, thou must die. 
and while she spoke thus she drew a sword with her free hand from under her dress, and pressing it against Joseph's throat, she said, Do as I bid thee, or thou diest. Joseph ran out, leaving a piece of his garment in the hands of Zuleika as he wrenched himself loose from the grasp of the woman with a quick, energetic motion. Zuleika's passion for Joseph was so violent that in lieu of its owner, whom she could not succeed in subduing to her will, she kissed and caressed the fragment of cloth left in her hand. At the same time she was not slow to perceive the danger into which she had put herself, for she feared Joseph might possibly betray her conduct, and she considered ways and means of obviating the consequences of her folly. Meanwhile her friends returned from the Nile festival, and they came to visit her and inquire after her health. They found her looking wretchedly ill, on account of the excitement she had passed through and the anxiety she was in. She confessed to the women what had happened with Joseph, and they advised her to accuse him of immorality before her husband, and then he would be thrown into prison. Zuleika accepted their advice, and she begged her visitors to support her charges by also lodging complaints against Joseph that he had been annoying them with improper proposals. But Zuleika did not depend entirely upon the assistance of her friends. She planned a ruse, besides, to be sure of convincing her husband of Joseph's guilt. She laid aside her rich robes of state, put on her ordinary clothes, and took to her sickbed in which she had been lying when the people left to go to the festival. Also, she took Joseph's torn garment and laid it out next to her. Then she sent a little boy to summon some of the men of her house, and to them she told the tale of Joseph's alleged outrage, saying, See the Hebrew slave whom your master hath brought in unto my house, and who attempted to do violence to me to-day. You had scarcely gone away to the festival, when he entered the house, and making sure that no one was there, he tried to force me to yield to his lustful desire. But I grasped his clothes, tore them, and cried with a loud voice. When he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he was seized with fear and befled, and got him out, but he left his garment by me. The men of her house spake not a word, but in rage against Joseph they went to their master and reported to him what had come to pass. In the meantime, the husbands of Zuleika's friends had also spoken to Potiphar at the instigation of their wives, and complained of his slave that he molested them. Potiphar hastened home, and he found his wife in low spirits, and though the cause of her dejection was chagrin at not having succeeded in winning Joseph's love, she pretended that it was anger at the immoral conduct of the slave. She accused him in the following words, O oh, husband, mayest thou not live a day longer if thou dost not punish the wicked slave that hath desired to defile thy bed, that hath not kept in mind who he was when he came to our house, to demean himself with modesty, nor hath he been mindful of the favors he hath received from thy bounty. He did lay a privy design to abuse thy wife, and this at the time of observing a festival when thou wouldst be absent. These words she spoke at the moment of conjugal intimacy with Potiphar, and when she was certain of exerting an influence upon her husband. Potiphar gave credence to her words, and he had Joseph flogged unmercifully. While the cruel blows fell upon him, he cried to God, O Lord, thou knowest that I am innocent of these things. And why should I die to-day on account of a false accusation by the hands of these uncircumcised impious men? God opened the mouth of Zuleika's child, a babe of but eleven months, and he spoke to the men that were beating Joseph, saying, What is your quarrel with this man? Why do you inflict such evil upon him? 
Lies my mother doth speak, and deceit is what her mouth uttereth. This is the true tale of that which did happen. And the child proceeded to tell all that had passed, how Zuleika had tried first to persuade Joseph to act wickedly, and then had tried to force him to do her will. The people listened in great amazement. But the report finished, the child spake no word as before. Abashed by the speech of his own infant son, Potiphar commanded his bailiffs to leave off from chastising Joseph, and the matter was brought into court, where the priests sat as judges. Joseph protested his innocence, and related all that had happened according to the truth, but Potiphar repeated the account his wife had given him. The judges ordered the garment of Joseph to be brought which Zuleika had in her possession, and they examined the tear therein. It turned out to be on the front part of the mantle, and they came to the conclusion that Zuleika had tried to hold him fast, and had been foiled in her attempt by Joseph, against whom she was now lodging a trumped-up charge. They decided that Joseph had not incurred the death penalty, but they condemned him to incarceration, because he was the cause of a stain upon Zuleika's fair name. Potiphar himself was convinced of Joseph's innocence, and when he cast him into prison, he said to him, I know that thou art not guilty of so vile a crime, but I must put thee in durance, lest a taint cling to my children. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg Joseph in Prison By way of punishment for having traduced his ten brethren before his father, Joseph had to languish for ten years in the prison to which the wiles of traducers had in turn condemned him. But, on the other hand, as he had sanctified the name of God before the world by his chastity and his steadfastness, he was rewarded. The letter Hay, which occurs twice in the name of God, was added to his name. He had been called Joseph, but now he was also called Jehoseph. Though he was bound in prison, Joseph was not yet safe from the machinations of his mistress, whose passion for him was in no wise lessened. In truth, it was she that had induced her husband to change his intention regarding Joseph. She urged him to imprison the slave rather than kill him, for she hoped that as a prisoner he could be made amenable to her wishes more easily. She spake to her husband, saying, Do not destroy thy property. Cast the slave in prison, and keep him there until thou canst sell him and receive back the money thou didst pay out for him. Thus she had the opportunity of visiting Joseph in his cell, and trying to persuade him to do her will. She would say, This and that outrage have I executed against thee, but as thou livest, I will put yet other outrages upon thee if thou dost not obey me. But Joseph replied, The Lord executeth judgment for the oppressed. I will push matters so far that all men will hate thee. The Lord loveth the righteous. I will sell thee into a strange land. The Lord preserveth the strangers. Then she would resort to enticements in order to obtain her desire. She would promise to release him from prison if he would but grant her wish. But he would say, Better it is to remain here than be with thee and commit a trespass against God. These visits to Joseph in prison Zuleika continued for a long time. But when finally she saw that all her hopes were vain, she let him alone. As the mistress persisted in her love for Joseph, so his master, her husband, could not separate himself from his favorite slave. Though a prisoner, Joseph continued to minister to the needs of Potiphar, 
and he received permission from the keeper of the prison to spend some of his time in his master's house. In many other ways the jailer showed himself kindly disposed toward Joseph. Seeing the youth's zeal and contentiousness in executing the task laid upon him, and under the spell of his enchanting beauty, he made prison life as easy as possible for his charge. He even ordered better dishes for him than the common prison fare, and he found it superfluous caution to keep watch over Joseph, for he could see no wrong in him, and he observed that God was with him in good days and in bad. He even appointed him to be the overseer of the prison, and as Joseph commanded, so the other prisoners were obliged to do. For a long time the people talked of nothing but the accusation raised against Joseph by his mistress. In order to divert the attention of the public from him, God ordained that two high officers, the chief butler and the chief baker, should offend their lord, the king of Egypt, and they were put in ward in the house of the captain of the guard. Now the people ceased their talk about Joseph, and spoke only of the scandal at court. The charges laid at the door of the noble prisoners were that they had attempted to do violence to the daughter of Pharaoh, and they had conspired to poison the king himself. Besides, they had shown themselves derelict in their service. In the wine the chief butler had handed to the king to drink, a fly had been discovered, and the bread set upon the royal board by the chief baker contained a little pebble. On account of all these transgressions they were condemned to death by Pharaoh, but for the sake of Joseph it was ordained by divine providence that the king should first detain them in prison before he ordered their execution. This lord had enkindled the wrath of the king against his servants, only that the wish of Joseph for liberty might be fulfilled, for they were the instruments of his deliverance from prison, and though they were doomed to death, yet in consideration of the exalted office they had held at court, the keeper of the prison accorded them privileges, as, for instance, a man was detailed to wait upon them, and the one appointed thereto was Joseph. The chief butler and the chief baker had been confined in prison ten years, when they dreamed a dream, both of them, but as for the interpretation, each dreamed only that of the other one's dream. In the morning when Joseph brought them water for washing, he found them sad, depressed in spirits, and in the matter of the sages he asked them why they looked different on that day from other days. They said unto him, We have dreamed a dream this night, and our two dreams resemble each other in certain particulars, and there is none that can interpret them. And Joseph said unto them, God granteth understanding to man to interpret dreams. Tell me them, I pray you. It was as a reward for ascribing greatness and credit to him unto whom it belonged that Joseph later attained to his lofty position. The chief butler proceeded to tell his dream. In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded and its blossoms shot forth and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. The chief butler was not aware that his dream contained a prophecy regarding the future of Israel, but Joseph discerned the recondite meaning, and he interpreted the dream thus. The three branches are the three fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose descendants in Egypt will be redeemed by three leaders, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and the cup given into the hand of Pharaoh is the cup of wrath that he will have to drain in the end. This interpretation of the dream Joseph kept for himself, and he told the chief butler nothing thereof, 
but out of gratitude for the glad tidings of the deliverance of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, he gave him a favorable interpretation of his dream, and begged him to have him in his remembrance when it should be well with him, and liberate him from the dungeon in which he was confined. When the chief baker heard the interpretation of the butler's dream, he knew that Joseph had divined its meaning correctly, for in his own he had seen the interpretation of his friend's dream, and he proceeded to tell Joseph what he had dreamed in the night. I also was in my dream, and behold three baskets of white bread were on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. Also this dream conveyed a prophecy regarding the future of Israel. The three baskets are the three kingdoms to which Israel will be made subject, Babylon, Medea, and Greece, and the uppermost basket indicates the wicked rule of Rome, which will extend over all the nations of the world until the bird shall come, who is the Messiah, and annihilate Rome. Again Joseph kept the prophecy a secret. To the chief baker he gave only the interpretation that had reference to his person, but it was unfavorable to him, because through his dream Joseph had been made acquainted with the suffering Israel would have to undergo, and all came to pass as Joseph had said on the third day. The day whereon he explained the meaning of their dreams to the two distinguished prisoners, a son was born unto Pharaoh, and to celebrate the joyous event the king arranged a feast for his princes and servants that was to last eight days. He invited them and all the people to his table, and he entertained them with royal splendor. The feast had its beginning on the third day after the birth of the child, and on that occasion the chief butler was restored in honor to his butlership, and the chief baker was hanged, for Pharaoh's counselors had discovered that it was not the butler's fault that the fly had dropped into the king's wine, but the baker had been guilty of carelessness in allowing the pebble to get into the bread. Likewise it appeared that the butler had had no part in conspiracy to poison the king, while the baker was revealed as one of the plotters, and he had to expiate his crime with his life. End of chapter 1, part 8